listening to Insider Podcast. I'm Greg Drevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Rider Magazine. Our guest today is Kevin Duke, an old friend of mine from the world of motorcycle journalism. Kevin was the Editor-in-Chief at Motorcycle.com for more than a decade, and we've attended a bunch of press launches together over the years. In the spring of 2021, Kevin was hired as Editor-in-Chief at Thunder Press, an American V-Twin magazine owned by the same company that owns Rider Magazine, and we've worked closely together on both publications over the past couple of years. The April 2022 issue of Thunder Press marked the publication's 30th anniversary, and for the next issue, the magazine was rebranded as American Rider. Kevin and I talked about some of our shared history and about the unique stories and event coverage in American Rider. If you love American-made motorcycles and the community that surrounds them, then you should check it out at AmericanRider.com. Before we get into the episode, I want you to know that the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast is now hosted on the Podbean platform, so you can now listen via Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, and many other platforms. We've also uploaded our entire podcast catalog, 54 episodes and counting, to YouTube. We drop a new episode every two weeks. Thanks for listening, and keep the rubber side down. Hey there, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Good to be with you. Awesome. Well, before we get started... There we go. All right, kids, don't drink and ride, but if you're at home like I am, you can have a cold one. <laughs> so it's Friday afternoon. Uh, you and I are both had a full week. Most of the people that come on this podcast, uh, I've maybe never met them. I definitely don't see them on Zoom calls very often, but you and I work together on Rider and American Rider for the same parent company. So we see each other on video calls several times a week. So I think this one will be a little bit more enjoyable than most of those meetings. Yeah, I think so, too. Some of those meetings get a little long and uh, boring. This one's just talking about uh, our magazines and the things that we're passionate about. So it uh, should be fun. Absolutely. So for those people who are on the listening to the podcast who don't know, uh, Kevin Duke is the editor-in-chief at American Rider. Uh, I'm the editor at Rider, and uh, we're part of what's known as, I guess, the Rider Group. There's also Woman Rider, which is a website. And uh, we're all owned by uh, the same company. Uh, we'll get into American Rider in a bit, but I kind of want to go a little bit, uh, hit rewind a little bit. I've been doing this, uh, working for Rider and in, in the motorcycle magazine game since 2008, but you've been doing this longer than I am. How did you get started in motorcycle journalism? It uh, goes back to when I was a kid. I was reading magazines and I was spouting off useless information to my mom. And she said, oh, Kevin, if only you knew your schoolwork, like, you know, your motorcycles. And I'm like, wait a minute, maybe there's something there. And then I heard the old adage, if you enjoy uh, your job, you never have to work again. And so I'm like, somebody's got to write this stuff. Why couldn't it be me? So I went to journalism school and ended up uh, doing an internship at Cycle Canada magazine back in the mid-90s. And then uh, I got hired uh, by Motorcyclist magazine in 1997. Worked motorcyclist, then worked for Road Racing World, worked for uh, Motorcycle Consumer News. And then I got hired on at Motorcycle USA when they were uh, just a teeny little website, only had a few posts. And uh Launched that, eventually overtook Motorcycle.com as uh, the leading website in the United States. And then Motorcycle.com poached me from MotorcycleUSA.com and I worked <laughs> at Motorcycle.com for 11 or 13 years or something. Wow. And so uh, you've been doing this for a long time. You've ridden um, 
hundreds of different motorcycles. You've done some, you did some racing in the past. Was it, you know, more at an amateur level, club level, anything like that? Yeah, it was more at club level, but I've been on a lot of racetracks. I think it's something like 40 some racetracks now. Wow. And uh, my bike resume is now, I think it's past 950 different motorcycles I've ridden. Wow. I, you know, it's funny. I have a roster that I think I stopped updating um a couple of years ago i need to update it and i was like 450 so you know and i realized some of those are different you know model updates of existing bikes and things like that but yeah it's uh, when you keep track of it you realize that you end up riding a lot of different motorcycles and that was actually one of the things i had to learn first was you know you um i was a regular motorcycle enthusiast when i got started at the magazine and only ridden a handful of motorcycles but um, whether you're going out on a comparison test or you're just swapping test bikes several times in a week, you've got to be able to jump on a brand new motorcycle and figure it out pretty fast and ride it competently, you know? So, yeah. And I love it because it's you're getting to know a, a new partner and uh, it's not quite the same as uh, stumbling into a new bedroom partner in a personal life. But uh, <laughs> there's always something new to be uh, experienced on motorcycles. And I, I love it. They all bring something different to the table, little nuances that make them distinct. And uh, yeah, it sure has been a great life with motorcycles. That's cool. Yeah, I've had more than a few embarrassing and awkward moments on motorcycles and with girlfriends. So, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> But I guess you can get hurt more in a motorcycle. Maybe not financially, but well, I guess you could. But <laughs> so. uh, well, you know what? The 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 personal life gets uh, deeper emotional scars. I'll say. Absolutely. Well, so you know, you're a family man. You're married. You've got a kid. Uh, you've had to do a lot of travel. I mean, I realize that that's actually one of the things that uh, you can and I can commiserate with. Most people are like, "Oh, you have a dream job," and they don't want to hear anything about your complaining about you know, how much you have to travel or how much you have to do, but it is actually a job. There's work that's got to be done. And um, I think I've said this on the podcast before, and it was, was it Brian Catterson or Aaron Frank, you know, is the quoted as saying it's the best job in the world for two days a month. I believe that was Aaron Frank. And it's true. Uh, one of the big misconceptions uh, that people who are just looking from the outside goes, oh, it must be great to be riding motorcycles every day all the time. And it's like, gosh, you know what, if, if I had a regular job, I might ride motorcycles more often than I have time for in this job. But it's still fun just to be involved in the motorcycle industry, see how things are advancing and progressing. And uh, yeah, it's a great industry. Well, I had a contributor that I was communicating with via email. I went to a KTM launch in Portugal in early December. And I was you know, telling him that I was, yeah, I'm just trying to tie up some loose ends before I go to the airport. And he's like, oh, man, it must be a great life. You get to, you know, go to Europe. I was like, well, it's going to take me probably 24 hours of travel to get to, to Europe. Then I'm going to be there for 36 hours. I'm going to ride the bike for one day. And, uh, you know, it's usually maybe 100 to 150 miles. And then I've got to get on a airport shuttle at six o'clock the following morning and travel another 24 hours to get home. So we're usually it's a it's surgical strike. You parachute in, you yeah. ride a bike, you've got to get all the technical information. You've got to do your video. You've got to do your photos and a lot of stuff. So it can be great and fun and whirlwind thing, but uh, it is uh, a lot more time in airports and taxis and shuttles and things like that than you are in the saddle of a motorcycle. You know it, but then, you know, uh, how often do our readers get to be invited to Portugal to come ride a new motorcycle no one else has ever ridden? So, yeah. 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 So uh, speaking of that, I mean, like I said, you and I have been on a bunch of launches together because, you know, when you were at motorcycle.com, that was at Rider. Like I said, I started in 2008. So 
Uh, I know we've we've been to South Africa twice together on BMW launches. We've been to Europe a bunch of times. What are some of your favorite sort of assignments and launches that you've been on? Whether it's, you know, it can be, you know, something here in the States, it's been a trip that you did or something like that, or it can be a, a launch that was a pretty special experience. Any any favorites? Uh, well, probably too many favorites to list, but I'll, I'll do a couple. Um, I've been lucky enough to be at Jay Leno's garage uh, four times. Wow. And uh, I, I've always, since the first time I met him, I'm like, God gave the right person money this time that guy <laughs> is like an enthusiast like no other he'll walk you around he's got hundreds of vehicles right if you include bikes and cars right. and he knows intricate details about everything so just being able to hang around a, a celebrity like that and get to know that he's as passionate or even more passionate about motorcycles than you and i are it's just fantastic that that guy is such a uh, uh, a great ambassador for the sport of motorcycling Right. Well, yeah, I've actually been to his garage once, actually, for a, they unveiled the BMW K1600s there at his garage. And he did his walking tour as he does. And he's got his usual uniform of jeans and, and you know, denim shirt. And he's not one of those. I mean, he's fabulously rich, but he's not one of those people who has a collection just to polish his ego or bragging rights with his friends. His encyclopedic knowledge of every single vehicle he has in his collection and his ability to operate it, um, ride it, whatever it is, was uh, just breathtaking. I just he just went around and held court for a solid hour. I mean, everything from, you know, steam powered cars to electric vehicles to, you know, motorcycles of every vintage and hot cars and old cars and everything else. And uh, yeah, it's super impressive. His his level of knowledge and he's an absolute gearhead. And another uh, celebrity gearhead who's been fun to hang around a few times, uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, recently rode the Arch Motorcycles 1S and got to ride along with him. And he's he is like as casual as you could imagine a, any celebrity being. He he likes riding motorcycles. He's I, I was at a track day with him once a few years ago, and uh, it was a very small group. And he spun more time on the track than anybody else who was at that track day. And you don't do that if you're just a celebrity who's looking to, you know, just show off for a little while. He just really loves it. And he just kept getting on and going out. And uh, yeah, he's he's a real passionate guy about motorcycles. And uh, I think he's another great ambassador for our sport. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I know you went to that event. I haven't met Keanu, but from what you've said and other folks I've talked to is that, yeah, he's... It's not just an image thing for him. There are certainly plenty of celebrities that have owned bikes or have shown up at events and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's a, he's, it's a true passion for him. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And one more, I'll say, uh, I don't know if you were at the Leno uh, garage when I was there and it was rainy and uh, all the journalists took their cars to Leno's house because it was raining. And <laughs> in California, we don't like riding in the rain. <laughs> and who showed up but Harrison Ford on a BMW F800GS or something like that. He was another guy who, you know, passionate about motorcycles. And he rode to Leno's house, whereas all these pansy journalists had to show up <laughs> in a car with a roof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was the K sixteen hundred launch. He was there. It's funny because he's good friends with with Jay Leno, but he didn't want to talk to any of the journalists. He was, you know, I mean, Harrison. I guess he does his own thing. He doesn't really do interviews much, 
and he didn't want to talk to a bunch of hangers on who wanted to get his photo and put it in their magazine or something. So, uh, yeah, he was he was there, but he was he definitely had his own little force field around him, you know, during that event. So, well, I mentioned that we've gone to uh, South Africa a couple of times uh, for press launches, and um, one of them was for the BMW R1200 GS water boxer, and that was ended up being a bonding experience for you and I as. Um, yeah that event was going to be two days of riding. It got cut a uh, day short because uh, Kevin Ash, a British motor motorcycle journalist, um, actually died at that event. And so they really had to cut the event short. And you and I ended up with a free day back at the hotel before our uh, flight was supposed to uh, take us back to the United States. And um, I don't know how we got on the notion of doing it, but uh, it was one of those things where I think for me and maybe for both of us, we kind of needed to do something life affirming, you know, that somebody that does what we do for a living had succumbed uh, to his injuries in an accident. I didn't really know Kevin Ash personally. Um, so we borrowed a car from BMW and in South Africa, they drive on the left hand side of the road. So the steering wheels on the wrong side of the vehicle. And so you and I drove about an hour, two hours to the Blue Crans Bridge, and the entire time we were driving there, when I was trying to keep the the, the car on the road, I was really hoping that uh, you would say, yeah, "I don't know if I really want to do this." I because I, I was getting pretty nervous to I was going to chicken out, but you never did, so I stuck with it. And we went to the Blue Crans Bridge, which is uh, seven hundred meters above uh, the Blue Crans River, and is the highest commercial bungee jump. And so you and I went there, and um, Basically, they had a walkway under the, you know, the arched structure of the bridge, and we got out there and uh, bungee jumped off that bridge. Yeah, that was uh, uh, memorable for both those reasons. You know, I've never been on a press launch where a journalist has died from crashing a bike, and that really shook everybody up, you know. And then to get that chance to jump off this giant bridge and come away still breathing life affirming that as you said that's the perfect description because i i felt really alive after that and lucky to be alive and experience things still and yeah that was that was a unforgettable experience that one yeah that's a that's the only time i've done bungee jumping it's like i've jumped out of an airplane once and i think once is enough you know that was one of those experiences it was like two seconds of sheer terror and then it was this really awesome experience and so like i said i for me it wasn't about like hey you know let's go do something risky because bungee jumping is a safe thing especially in a commercial environment like that you know it's we weren't base jumping and we weren't in a squirrel suit you know or anything like that so <laughs> it was a safe activity but it doesn't feel safe in the moment necessarily as you're jumping off a perfectly good bridge and you can see the rocks in the <laughs> down there at the bottom but um, but yeah, that you were able, that you were willing to do that with me. I mean, I think that was one of those things that was a, a bonding experience and, and uh, we've been good buddies ever since. So yeah. let's talk about American Rider. You've been the editor uh, since 2021. So uh, and that was back uh, when it was still called Thunder Press. So uh, give us a little bit of backstory on what Thunder Press was, its founder, and then uh, the transition to American Rider. Yeah, well, Thunder Press, the uh, 30-year history. Uh, it's always a giveaway magazine found in Harley dealers, some Indian dealers. And uh, so it got to be part of the motorcycle culture, biker culture, perhaps. And then when COVID hit, uh, before I got hired, uh, we switched to the from the giveaway, the free giveaway model to a subscription model. So 
we were changing from just a, a newsprint kind of giveaway thing into something really kind of special and unique. And uh, and so, yeah, we ran Thunder Press, uh, took it to its 30th anniversary issue. And then in uh, May of 2022, I think I got that right, uh, yeah. we switched the name over to American Rider. That was another title that uh, was in the our parent company's past history. It was around for a few years, and I figured that Thunder Press kind of undersold what we were doing, and American Rider was more inclusive of the kind of content that belongs in a quality print publication or a digital issue. And so, yeah, American Rider it, uh, encompasses everything, always about uh, American motorcycles and the people who ride them, people who are passionate about American motorcycles do custom builders, that kind of stuff. That's uh, obviously uh, uh, one of our focuses. Uh, motorcycle rallies is another big one. And I've also brought in a lot of historical content. There's a lot of things about history that have been stories that have been retold as fact. And when you dig in a little deeper, you realize, hey, they got this wrong. These guys got this wrong. And uh, one of our contributors, Todd Rafferty, likes to pull the uh, old slogan, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. And uh, <laughs> for myself, I prefer the facts because if I'm putting it down on a printed page or or on a digital edition, uh, I want that to be a reference that can be regarded as historical fact and not just somebody else's story retold with different words. Well, I mean, some of your own work, like you said, you mentioned Todd Rafferty. I know you've also got a longtime contributor Kip Woodring, uh, who uh, brings in some of the historical stuff. Uh, he's also a very technically inclined guy, really knows the history of, of particularly Harley Davidson and, and a lot of the, the development of the brand and the engineering. But, you know, you you had, a, I don't recall the month or year of the issue, but uh, early on you had devoted much of an issue to Crocker, which is a pretty, mm. you know, legendary brand, but a small company. It was, you know, a hot rod motorcycle of its day, but only about 70 of them were ever produced. Is that correct? Yeah. And that's another controversial topic is that how many were produced? You'd figure in a serialized production, the numbers would correspond to the numbers of bikes produced. And that's not the way Al Crocker did it. The Crocker was special. It was the first overhead valve B-twin made in America. And it came out the same year as Harley's Knucklehead. And the Knucklehead is one of the most valuable motorcycles that you can buy now. And the Crocker kind of beat it slightly to the punch by a couple of months. And it was faster than the Knucklehead. And so when I started diving into it, I was discovering that some of the things reported about Crockers weren't quite accurate. And uh, yeah, with the odd serialized production, now nobody's really sure how many were produced. And uh, there's also uh, a guy named Michael Shack who owned the who owns the Crocker name now. He produces reproduction parts, and so since the frames didn't have numbers on it, it's kind of a little bit unknown how many Crockers are actually produced. But yeah, they were America's first superbike, and that issue really dragged a lot out of me because I, I, you know, I could just repeat the same old stories and have an article done and we could, you know, move on to the next issue. But I kept digging. I ended up talking to Judy Crocker Jones, Al Crocker Jr.'s daughter to get some more uh, historical accounts and found out things from her that nobody's ever reported. And 
that's it's been really fun to dig into history and uh, just currently i'm digging into the captain america bike from the easy rider movie everybody it's probably the world's most recognized motorcycle and there's a whole bunch of facts about that that have been retold that aren't true and so i i feel like i should just stop and leave it alone but i keep wanting to chase down the details so that i'm bringing something new to the readers when they read this story about captain america our readers will know things that other people that haven't been reported before. So it's really fascinating to dig into history. It's I love that part of my job. Well, I mean, you know, again, thinking about the the American motorcycle, American made motorcycles, you know, these days, most people just, I mean, basically it's two brands, Harley Davidson yeah. Indian, but that rivalry and the, those two is leading brands goes way back in history. You know, Indian was started in 1901, Harley Davidson started in 1903. But Indian went out of business in 1953, and then there was various attempts to resurrect it. And really, until Polaris came along in 2011 and bought that brand, it, it's never it's it's finally sort of you know back on solid footing. You know, I, from actually one of Todd Rafferty's books and talking to him, I've got one of his like encyclopedias of early American motorcycles. And I think what a lot of people don't appreciate is that in the early decades of the 20th century, there were upwards of 300 different motorcycle manufacturers. <laughs> you know, I mean, the industry was very young. It was it was sort of like they were some companies were just bolting engines onto bicycles. And uh, even um, I don't know how you say his first name, Ignatz Schwinn, you know, owned some motorcycle companies in the Schwinn name. Everybody knows from bicycles, but it was really trying to configure itself in many ways. And two of the earliest brands, Harley Davidson Indian, ultimately, you know, became the survivors. But you mentioned Crocker. There was Excelsior Henderson. Um, there have been various others. And there have been attempts to resurrect some of these brands. The Excelsior mm -hmm. Henderson one in the, I guess, late 90s, early 2000s was a pretty yeah. spectacular, you know, uh, financial boondoggle, I guess would be yeah. the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, so that you've got that sort of content in American Rider about, you know, uh, lesser known marks or brands that these days, you know, there may be, you see them in museums. Uh, I know there was just the Mecham auction in Las Vegas and some of these brands that you'll see in, in, a, in a context like that, but they're not household names like Harley Davidson Indian. But all those brands, uh, you know, Thor, Yale, Autobee, uh, a whole bunch of brands, those were, that's how the motorcycle industry got to where we are now. It wasn't till the, uh, well, it was World War I really shook out a couple or a whole bunch of motorcycle manufacturers when it was kind of a free-for-all. And then uh, after the, the Great Depression, that shook out just about everybody. It was just Indian and Harley after that, pretty much. And so, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how these the whole American motorcycle story has evolved. And I, I'm really proud of uh, another series that we've been doing lately, Early Rider. Kip Woodring, one of uh, our contributors, uh, we started out in the the 1900s, the, the aughts uh, of the uh, 20th century. And so he's running through every decade of motorcycle history, and he has a reader who brings you into that decade and tells the story of motorcycling then. So we're, uh, where are we at now? Uh, the, the 1930s. Yep. And, uh, and so um, it's another great way to tell stories about motorcycles that aren't being told anywhere else. Well, at having, you know, uh, read uh, those articles and been involved in the, in the, you know, the proofreading process with those to see how they've come together. I mean, it's interesting because 
you know, it's one thing to talk about, you know, the actual um, development of, you know, technology and motorcycles and engine configurations and things like that and suspension and so forth. But what Kip's doing in that series, it's really placing it into this historical context. You mentioned World War One or the Great Depression or the development of other technologies, you know, the part of what really um, hurt the early motorcycle industry was the development of an inexpensive automobile, you know, and so Henry Ford and other inexpensive automobiles and things like that. So, you know, it was a, it, it, the early days of American motorcycling was sort of like the early is, is in some ways kind of like motorcycles in Europe. There was an inexpensive form of transportation that, you know, uh, anybody could afford, uh, but uh, it was sort of supplanted by the car. But in Europe and other parts of the world, the motorcycle, either for space constraints because you're in a crowded city, or I was just in India earlier this month for a Royal Indian Field launch, and there are many people where a small displacement 100cc motorcycle is a huge uh, investment for a family or a person, mm -hmm. and that is their main vehicle, and they transport goods, and they transport their family on a little tiny motorcycle. So it's just a different context. So that the historical context of, of the development of like the, the environment in which those motorcycles were evolving, I, I find very fascinating in that series. Yeah, I'm glad you think so. And like I say, you you won't find these stories in other publications. So, I mean, if you have any kind of uh, uh, appreciation for history and of course, motorcycles, everybody listening to this is into motorcycles. You, we've got stories being told that haven't been told anywhere else. Well, and what's interesting, you had referenced the fact that American Rider was an actual, it was a magazine that was owned by our previous parent company. You know, there's been different mergers and acquisitions over the years. And Rider was actually founded by the son of Art Rouse, by Dennis Rouse, who was ran a company called Trailer Life Enterprise. So we were part of a big RV consortium at some point, so forth. We're now part of a, a privately owned company. But American Rider in its early days was in, again, the late 90s, early 2000s. That was part of the the Harley Davidson craze when when there was these huge markups on motorcycles and there was waiting lists and then there were all of these cruiser brands that um, you know and chopper brands that was the big dog and, and American Iron and all those companies that just popped up out of nowhere to try and fill the unmet need but then all none of those you know what as soon as we had the Great Recession like you were saying with the Great Depression wiped out a bunch of motorcycle brands and only the strongest were able to survive um, that's sort of how things played out again so. It's interesting that there's uh, as as some of those stories evolve that you know once you get closer in contemporary history um there's other brands that you know were kind of a flash in the pan they were cool for a moment and then they came and went so yeah yeah uh another uh, thing we haven't talked about yet was uh for press launches uh, last year i got to ride the uh harley davidson king of the baggers uh road glide at a racetrack you know so that won the championship that year and what an experience to ride. It was all jacked up and super tall, like taller than an adventure bike. Couldn't even touch the ground. I had to get the, the pit crew to kind of wheel me out. <laughs> this is unusual for a cruiser. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, just uh, in a couple of weeks from now, I'll be riding Indians King of the Baggers, the championship winning bike from Indian from the 2022 season. So, uh, you know, I had some racetrack experience previously and now it just seems uh, pretty unusual to be getting racetrack experiences on Harleys and Indians. And these things are no uh, a far cry from the stock bikes, which are, you know, nice, comfortable touring bikes or, you know, street roadsters or whatever. 
but uh, you get on these race bikes, they go, uh, I think at Daytona, they were going over 160 miles an hour. Wow. So th these are not slow machines. So to get a chance to uh, throw a leg over these specialized machines that are based on stock bikes, that's another whole new aspect to riding American motorcycles. Well, you've had, you know, an American rider, you've had uh, quite a bit of coverage about the bagger racing. I mean, that's been one of those like, you know, unexpectedly super successful phenomena that, you know, there's of course been flat track racing. And again, that's a, a major Harley Davidson Indian uh, rivalry. Of mm -hmm. course, there's, you know, Yamahas and KTMs and, and Kawasaki's and different classes and things like that. But Harley Davidson Indian are the two big ones. But this bagger racing uh, is uh, the king of the baggers thing is nuts. It was kind of like a, hey, let's just give this a shot as an exhibition thing for Moto America, which is more known for its super bike racing and super right. stock racing and things like that. So it's been really cool to see how how popular and it's become its own draw to a lot of Moto America rounds. Exactly. Yeah. They, the When I first heard about the, it was like a one-off race that they did a couple of years ago. And when I first heard about it, I thought it was kind of like a clown show kind of event. <laughs> yeah. It'll be stupid. And then uh, all the people, right? Oh, are you going to have the stereo turned up? Are you going to be able to have <laughs> 12 packs in the saddlebags and then crack them after the race? Uh, but yeah, the racing's turned out to be really exciting. And the bikes are way faster than anybody imagined a couple of years ago. So yeah, for the Harley Indian rivalry to be still intact after all these years and see it play out on road race tracks, it's fantastic. And, really? oh, and if, if I may, uh, for Moto America races, right, it's always the sport bike crowd who comes yeah. and the King of the Baggers class has added a whole new dimension to who is, comes out uh, uh, to attend and be the audience for this. So it's great for Moto America and it's great for, for fans of American motorcycles. Well, like you say, I mean, even though the, the motorcycles themselves you know, when you get up close to them personally, you throw a leg over them. It's, it, you know, they're not stock and, 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 and they're far from stock, but they look from a distance like a road glide or a street glide or a challenger or something like that. Um, and so I think people can relate to it. And then there's this whole segment of the motorcycle enthusiast population that is just really into American made vehicles. They, you know, people like Fords and Chevrolets and they, and so American made brands and something that they can relate to. It's, I mean, NASCAR stock car is a super popular series because people feel like it's, it's relatable in a way that maybe, you know, like IndyCar racing or F1 racing or sport bike racing may not be as relatable as it feels exactly. like to some people. So, yeah. Yeah, and the the uh, the King of the Bagger series, uh, you know, they they are highly modified. But the Harley guys, when I took the, the road glide out last year, their race bike, their King of the Baggers bike, they they confirmed that the 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 frame on the bike is stock. They haven't changed the frame. It's not gus gusseted or redone. It's the stock frame. They got a different swing arm, different suspension, of course, and a hot rod motor. But the 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 bones of the bike are are still the stock bike, so right. it's pretty fascinating to see how fast they can make these bikes, uh, these production bikes. Well, another thing that your uh, American rider is known for is you do a lot of event coverage. Uh, you know, there's some major rallies, of course, you know, Bike Week and Sturgis and things like that. But there's some smaller events uh, that you give some coverage. You've got an event calendar in the back of every issue that really is pretty comprehensive in terms of things, everything from, you know, small bike shows and swap meets to more local or regional rallies and everything else. But uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about the event coverage. 
Well, there, there's a real community uh, with, with uh, motorcyclists and biker type motorcyclists in particular, and they like to gather with their friends and new friends with motorcycles as the backdrop. So the, this is an important part of the, the culture. And so the, that calendar is it's really widely referred to because people want to get out and they can see what their options are. And there's some really great uh, events going on. You mentioned a couple of the big ones. An event in our upcoming, our March issue is the High Seas Rally, which was a uh, went off last October, I believe. And um, it, it's a bike rally on a cruise ship. So you <laughs> come on board a cruise ship. You got custom bikes in the cruise ship. You have a bike show uh, based on pictures that are in the elevators so people can enter their bikes in this virtual bike show. So there's you can't fit, you know, 500 bikes on a cruise ship, but you can have a lot of uh, really high end customized bikes. And then there were seminars, on, you know, from Paul Yaffe and Dave Perowitz. And so <laughs> it just seems so weird to be talking about a bike rally on a cruise ship. But by all accounts, it was a blast. And uh, I'm going to clear my schedule for the 2023 edition and uh, hope to get on that one because it really looked fun. Yeah, that feature is pretty cool because uh, the uh, Olivier Touron, who shot the photos and wrote it, uh, you know, he's got some great photos of these cranes loading a, a few of these custom bikes onto the cruise ship. Because like you said, you can't, not everybody can ride aboard. They had secured parking for anybody who rode to the cruise ship port, but that they could throughout the cruise ship have some of these, you know, premium high-end custom builds there. Um, there was a big, there was a the big fundraiser, over a hundred thousand dollars for a number of wounded warriors and a dialysis project and stuff. And somebody won this really cool custom bike. So yeah, it was quite an event. Yeah, uh, a beautiful custom bike. Xavier Muriel, who uh, Providence Cycle Works used to be the drummer for Buck Cherry, doing custom bikes, and that was uh, that was the raffle item. And anybody who joined the cruise was automatically entered and. Some lucky cruise, high seas cruise rally uh, customer got to take the bike home, and yeah, fantastic. And that's another cool part about the, the this kind of motorcycle culture: the the charity, the fundraising, and bikers are amazingly generous. When there's a worthy charity, they show up and they contribute money. And yeah, there was uh, I think over two hundred thousand dollars of uh, raised on that rally for a couple of different charities. So yeah, fantastic. Well, and also some of these builders that devote thousands of hours to their, their custom motorcycles and that they'll often donate something to a, 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 you know, a raffle or something like that for a good cause. And and uh, you've had a few uh, features about, uh, you know, the charity aspect of, of motorcycling and particularly in the biker community. And yeah, that's I mean, you know, anybody who is is a motorcyclist who's on the inside of that sort of tribe or in the tent. Um, knows that the sort of ex, the external perception is often fairly negative, you know, is that mm -hmm. there's persistent myths about, you know, bikers and motorcyclists and whether people ride crotch rockets or open pipe Harleys or whatever it is that they say that they do. There's always a few bad eggs, but, uh, you know, motorcyclists are just people and they like to get together with the, each other and share their their passion and be part of a community, just like people that are into gardening or bowling or something. It's just, I would say motorcycling is probably a lot more fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, further to the charity thing, uh, one of the biggest beneficiaries from charitable biker events are uh, soldiers, veterans. Uh, 
And that's something also I'm really proud of. It's it's another part of the American story and how motorcycles are associated with it. We we do a lot of uh, coverage and pretty much if there's something that's going to benefit veterans, I, I want to help promote it because uh, those guys are way bigger heroes than I'll ever be. And if there's anything that we can do as a community to support that, I'm all for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have to say, you know, uh, it's been a pleasure working with you over the last couple of years. Like I said, you and I would were bus- mostly buddies and colleagues at two different publications. And so we would see each other at events. And it's just like my former boss, Mark Tuttle, when he was the editor at Ryder, is uh, we would go out on photo shoots and things together and spend time. But you never go to the same press launch as somebody that works for your same publication. And so you and I don't see each other at press launches as much. Um, but uh, being able to work together and, um, you know, to, to craft some of the content for our respective publications and to um, be a resource for each other has been great. You know, the, the thing is, it's also, an, an, these days, it's unfortunately fairly rare that there just aren't that many motorcycle magazines left. You know, there's a lot of websites out there. There are bloggers, there are YouTubers, there are influencers or people under the influence or whatever it is, but <laughs> is for a, a, a publication that you can get still get in a print format. So we have digital versions of our magazines, but if you want to get a copy of the magazine sent to your mailbox every month, you can do that. And, uh, you know, it's particularly rare in the case of the V-Twin community is, you know, American Riders, probably the only print publication left. I mean, I know they're trying to bring back Easy Riders, a couple other things, but in terms of a consistent publication history, uh, you know, uh, American Rider and, and and its previous name of Thunder Press is, like I said, you celebrated your 30th anniversary last spring. And so, um, you know, you'll celebrate your 31st anniversary this spring. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it, it annoys me when I hear people online say, oh, I used to subscribe to six motorcycle magazines and now I can't get any. And it's like, wait a minute, you didn't hear about American Rider yet or Rider. And, yeah. and just to throw some uh, some shine back on you, Greg, I think Rider Magazine and American Rider Magazine both do a good job telling stories about motorcycles, but mostly the people in it. There a lot of websites. It's like, hey, here's the newest bike. And, you know, that's all there is to it. And uh, for, for people who have um, uh, interest in the human condition, I think the stories Ryder brings and American Ryder brings adds a really great dimension to the overall motorcycle story. And so, yeah, when I hear people say, oh, there's no more print magazines, it's like, no, you're wrong. And there's at least two really good ones available for you. Well, you know, it's it's been an honor to work for a magazine where, you know, as you said, you know, very early on is what got you into this business in the first place. You're saying, you know, if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And although the reality is there's a lot of work involved, but again, it's something that you believe in. It's something you're enthusiastic about. So it becomes a labor of love because, you know, we don't get rich doing this. You don't get paid a lot working for a magazine. You can only do so much with free helmets and 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 gloves. Like, <laughs> you know, I can't send an awry helmet to my mortgage company and have them, you know, give me any credit for it. So, um, but the the thing is, is, um, you know, there is content that's out there. Like I said, it's been it's been a challenging thing in the motorcycle media landscape. I guess would be the best way to put it. I know you've worked for a number of websites, and there's a ton of them out there, and there is lots of just sort of, you know, quick hit content and information like that. And, you know, what you and I are both, what I think the reason why we enjoy working with each other is we, we want to 
tell good stories or help facilitate the telling of those stories. Cause we don't write all the content in our magazine. A lot of times it's written by other people, but there's a lot of work that goes into getting something ready to publish. And um, like you said, absolutely the human interest. I mean, you're talking about whether there's a charity component to, to a rally or to certain events or um, you know, what it is that people do. It's, it's really, it's the, it's the, the, the passion or um, you know, um, true belief in the community and what, what you're doing. And that's what I think readers really enjoy is it's, it's anything that's kind of, like you said, kind of human interest, you know, it's, it's the challenges, it's the family experiences. That's it's a father son trip. It's, you know, the last trip that somebody took or something like that. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, a great part of it. And what we hope will, you know, readers will appreciate. It, it's, it's far more immersive than, pretty much anything you'll find online, right? There's a, 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 a way of telling stories that brings you in. A lot of uh, websites that talk about motorcycles, it's it's like that quick hit thing. Oh, good, it's got two millimeter larger valves. Okay, that's good. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that too, but I can't, I rarely find anything as immersive as the content that you and I bring to our readers. Yeah. Well, I, I want to give credit to, uh, we share an art director, a uh, senior art director. Is, uh, his name is Chad Cochran. Um, you know, that's the thing about a print publication. Again, yes, there are digital versions of our magazines, but I think like you, I much prefer to get it in hand and have a physical magazine because it can take the photography, can take the story, and in a in a professionally done layout is, as you turn the page, you know, the placement of the photos and the captions and everything, you talked about an immersive experience, you know, when you're scrolling through a web story on a phone, it can be the exact same story, you know, that is on a website, but it just happens to be like photo text, photo text, and you're just right. kind of scrolling through with your thumb or something. You're doing it while you're standing in line at the grocery store. It's a different experience than sitting on your couch, you know, or, you know, with a cup of coffee or a glass of whiskey or whatever, you're sitting on the throne. I mean, it's just like somehow where you've got some time where you can sort of enjoy the experience. And we have a lot of readers who say, Hey, you know, we our subscriptions are more expensive than they used to be, quite a bit more. It's like, hey, uh, I still want to get print. I'll pay the premium to to get print. It's no longer a dollar an issue or whatever it used to be, but we want to make sure that they get the value. That's you know, like we're putting our heart and soul into it, and we're hoping that it's appreciated. And I think we both get some uh, some good feedback. We get some negative feedback from some people, but uh, you know, it's it's. Um, uh, I know it's appreciated by a lot of our readers. So, right in contemporary days, the, there's hardly a human on the planet who doesn't spend too much time in front of a screen. Yeah. And I love reading about motorcycle content, and I get really tired of spending all my days in front of a screen. So, when you can take <laughs> a print publication, step away from the screen. Just read it, immerse yourself into that story. It's a different experience. And it, it's kind of, it's a, it's a more quality, high quality experience rather than just the quick scroll and trying to get, look at a couple of pictures and then move on to your email or your Instagram feed or whatever. Well, hey, for everybody out there who's listening, I mean, you know, if you're not already a subscriber to Writer, American Writer, I mean, we, you know, get an issue of each magazine in your inbox or your, your actual mailbox every month. Uh, you can get it in your inbox. There are digital editions, but, um, you know, subscribers is how we stay in business, you know, advertisers and subscribers, we're, you know, if we, you enjoy good motorcycle content, uh, we would appreciate, you know, any kind of support from, 
uh, readers and listeners and so forth. So uh, AmericanWriter.com is the website uh, for the magazine. There, there are buttons that you can subscribe to the e-newsletter, which is free. You can subscribe to the digital edition. You can subscribe to the print edition. On the homepage of AmericanWriter.com, you can see um, what's in the current issue of the magazine. There's also lots of uh, newsy information. I mean, you're like any other website, you know, there's some stuff that is, is quick hit news stuff that ends up on a website, goes out on social media and stuff. But uh, yeah, we're on, we're on all the channels. <laughs> and don't be one of those readers who says, oh, I wish there was still print magazines for motorcycles because there are. And yeah. if you subscribe, we'll keep bringing you some great content and I'm proud of the work we're doing together, Greg. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, you know, I'm glad that we, you and I were able to catch up, talk about uh, American Writer. It's it's a pleasure working with you. I'm glad we're not in a meeting together. I'm glad that uh, it's, my beer is about empty. I'm going to need to get another one. It's Friday afternoon for both of us. So uh, I think I'm going to probably shut down after this interview is over. But uh, it's great chatting with you. It's great working with you. And uh, we'll have links to uh, American Writer and various things uh, on, on the show. Uh, but again, AmericanWriter.com, if you're into American V-Twins, uh, and uh, the hi history of American motorcycles, the community uh, within uh, American motorcycling, uh, that's what the magazine's all about. Excellent. Great talking to you, Greg. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening for the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast. I'm Greg Drevenstead. Keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Rider Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.